0: Welcome to the She Finds Joy podcast, where I teach you how to step into the arena of bigness, all the while creating more joy along the way. That's right. We are capable of reclaiming our power, our purpose, our boldness and bravery, and putting our bigness into the world. I'm Kim Strobel, your truth-telling, real-talk happiness coach, who believes in giving you the tools to create a life you really love. After all, when we're playing in our arenas of bigness, life gets better as we get bolder. So buckle up for the no BS, zero fluff advice that gives you the small steps for big joy. Hello everyone, and today I am interviewing Andrea Owen. Andrea is an author, global speaker, and professional certified life coach who helps high achieving women let go of perfectionism, control, and isolation, and helps them choose courage and confidence instead. Yes, people, this is my woman. (laughs) She has helped helped thousands of women manage their inner critic to create loving connections and live their most kick-ass life. Uh, She is also the proud author of How to Stop Feeling Like Shit 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back From Happiness, which has been translated into 18 languages and is available in 22 countries. She also has a book called 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, BS-Free Wisdom to Ignite Your Inner Badass and Live the Life You Deserve. Welcome to the show, Andrea. I'm happy to have you here. Oh,
1: Kim, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yes. So I, of course I just get so enthralled because I can do everything from speak on stages all across the country, but I can't get my damn book out of me, Andrea. So Uh every time I'm like, Oh, it's another author. It's like this big red fire truck in front of me. And so, um, I actually just re-read The Power of the Subconscious Mind by Joseph uh, Murphy. Have you read that? I haven't read that one. Oh, it's so good. And so it's like I have this new affirmation going now around my, my book. So I think when I surround myself with authors, you guys can just put your mm-hmm. juice on me. and Consider
1: this part- your sign. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now exactly. I'm curious exactly. what your affirmation is.
0: Yeah. My, my aff- so my affirmation is I have 10 that I write every single day. Okay. Um, and, and the one regarding that has currently been I am a New York Times bestselling author in the self help field.
1: Amazing. I love it.
0: Yeah. But now I've kind of been, after reading The Power of the Subconscious Mind, I'm thinking of um, making it just a little more specific. Like uh, I have written my New York Times bestselling
1: book in the self help field by 2021. <laughs> right. That's fantastic. I'll tell you an interesting story that has to do with thats that. Is that when my last book was about to come out, how to stop feeling like shit, I realized looking back at when my first book came out that I had subconsciously held myself back and held that book back from being as successful as it could could have been my first book. So when my second book was about to come out, I was getting coaching on it, and the sort of result of the coaching was that I was going to do whatever I could, you know, mentally, emotionally to, all I wanted to do was let this book be, go as far as she needed to be. And really it was like, how, how big does she want to be? She being my book, I personified her. I didn't know what that meant. I wasn't that specific. Is it going to be New York Times bestselling? I have no idea what it's going to look like. So I did some work around that. And then we started to get all the foreign rights. Like They kept coming in and kept coming in and kept coming. And I asked my agent, I'm like, is this normal like to have this many translations and they said no (laughs) it's typical for self-help authors to get maybe two or three that's exciting but this level is extraordinary so i attribute that to me doing the work the internal work to let her fly and what it looked like was going worldwide so what in your internal work was what exactly It looked like, I mean, even just having that first that initial conversation, just the self-awareness around realizing where I had held myself back before. I was afraid of success. I was afraid of, which we we talk so much about being afraid of failure, which of course, I mean, like who's not even just like a tiny little bit. So we all know what that feels like, right? But for so many of us, the level of success that we aspire to be is something we've never had before. So we make up that it's very scary. You know, as a working mother, I make up that it's going to take Take time away from my family, that my children are going to end up resenting me. Like all of these stories that we make up that are terrifying, whether we're conscious of the stories or not, a lot of times we're not. And then, so it was about that. It was about figuring out what those were, working through those, uh, you know, doing things like EFT tapping and just breath work and meditation and telling myself that I am safe if this book becomes very successful. And that also goes into money and things like that, which is a whole nother conversation. But, but it was, it was about that. And also just, I think that's probably covers it really what that emotional and mental work looked like is uncovering what my big fears were. And one of them was the fear of success.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you bring that up. So I, I have a lot of, um, oh, I don't know. Some people would call it new age spirituality, but I've just been, I've been reading like the law of attraction and, Mm -hmm. and, um, Esther Hicks and Abraham, all of, I've been reading that stuff for 20 plus years. And so I have this like spiritual advisor. Some people would call her like a spiritual messenger, but she's able to like tap into the other realm and get messages from your angels. And so I had just listened to us a recording from her in 2015 where she was saying to me like, Oh, you're going to launch you're going to launch this one business and then you're going to launch another business and you're going to travel the country and you're going to, and at the time I was just like, well, that sounds like (laughs) great, but how's that going to happen? So then when I re-listened to it, I was kind of like, Oh my goodness! And so I booked another session with her, and she said that one of my angel guides is this lady named um, Lilian. And so it was so neat, Andrea. Oh my gosh! I have to tell this story real quick, and then we're going to get into all stuff you. But um, <laughs> I literally had lit my meditation candle, and I have a picture of this on my phone. I have to send it to you after the recording. But I lit my meditation candle. I was sitting in my chair, and I was listening to her tell me all the stuff that's going on around me. And during the, the, the session, I was looking at the candle and I was like, this is weird, but I feel like the candle is like smiling at me. Like the way it was melting, it had like two eyeballs and it had this giant smile. Mm -hmm. And so she starts saying like five minutes later, she says, Lillian is saying, girl, you have done it. You have stepped up and you have done all that they thought you would. Um, and then she goes, and she also wants me to tell you that she's smiling at you.
1: And I was like, what? And I was like, so you hadn't told her about the candle. Okay. Okay. No, I haven't.
0: I hadn't told her. I just had the thought in my head like five minutes before that. I think this is really weird, but I feel like the candle is smiling at me. Yeah. And then she says that to me. And so then she goes on to relate back to your story. She says, but yet you are still holding yourself back. You will Mm. not, you have not released your whole self yet to the world. And it was kind of those things that you're talking about, like if I put myself out there in an even bigger way, what, how does that change everything from my home life to my family life? And, and she just said, she said, the time is now for you to go ahead and take it up another level. And so I think you're right. I think that I am self sabotaging myself Mm -hmm. a little bit with this book. And then I'm, I just have to get out of my own damn way.
1: Yeah. And what the advice I give to people on that is whenever I hear someone say I have to get out of my own damn way, like I want to know exactly what that looks like. So anybody listening, if you're if you've been telling yourself that for the last day or the last 10 years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's time to to figure out what that exactly looks like.
0: Yeah. Which means you start making a different decision too, right? Like, have I written a single line in the last mm-hmm. six months? No, I have not. Okay, I'm gonna show you the picture because I just pulled it up. Now I circled it for my friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> The two eyes and the mouth. Yeah, I see it. (laughs) You see it, don't you? See, I'm not not crazy. It was a magical moment. Oh my gosh. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to back this bus up because, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what took you into the field of personal development? How did you get to be this author and this life coach and this person who has this book translated in 22 languages and you wrote a book? um, that really speaks to this idea of how do women step into
1: their courageous being? So what is mm-hmm. your story? I want to know. So I was originally in the fitness industry. That's what I went to college for. I still love the fitness industry and had always been interested in life coaching. This was like in the early two thousands when nobody really knew what it was. And I thought it was kind of a cool thing, but never really took action on it. And then it's, it's kind of a funny, not funny story. My, my husband at the time it was my first husband. Um, not that I have. Every time I say that, it makes it sound like I have seven. <laughs> like, no, I've only had the two. No.
0: <laughs> I always kind of have to designate that too. Like this was husband number one. Now this is husband number two. <laughs> I'm
1: only on my second. Same here. <laughs> um, I had said to him, I I said this whole life coaching thing seems really cool, but I and I was only in my twenties at that time, and I said, but I, I feel like that. A life coach would have to have a lot of life experience, and I don't have a whole lot of life experience. Well, lo and behold, a couple of years into our marriage, he had an affair with our neighbor and got her pregnant and left me for her. And it was right around the time that he and I were talking about conceiving our first child, and I was 31. I was devastated, um, and then immediately started dating someone. I had no business dating at the time. Started dating someone whom I thought was Mr. Wright. Turns out he was a con man. If anyone has seen the Netflix series, Dear John or Dirty John, or heard the podcast, That was my life. It did not end in murder, like that one did. Sorry, spoiler alert for (laughs) anyone who hasn't seen it. But um, he tried to—he covered up his drug addiction by saying he had cancer. It was just—it was awful. And I was in—it was such a mirror of the place that I was in at the time, and just—and—and in in so much pain, had so much trauma that I had not uh, gotten any help with, um, and then found myself pregnant. And so he went away to rehab. We were going to try to work things out. He met someone in rehab that he fell in love with. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. So you were pregnant with his child? Yes. Decided I was going to have the baby. Um, We were going to try to work it out. He met someone in rehab, and then we haven't spoken since then. So, and, And I had the baby. He's 12 and a half now. And so that moment, I mean, it was like on the floor, in the fetal position, on the phone with my sister just saying to her, like, how could this have happened again? Like, how could I, I feel like I just, and my divorce wasn't even final yet with my ex-husband. And it just, my life was a mess. It was a mess. And it was right around the time too, where all of my friends, all of them, except maybe one was like either getting married and or having babies, you know, like that early thirties time. Yeah. And I just, I was so shamed and humiliated and at the same time, though, I had to take radical responsibility for my life. And what mm-hmm. I what I mean by that is I had spent my entire life putting all my happiness and fulfillment and self-confidence and self-esteem in other people's baskets, more specifically, whomever I was in a relationship with at the time. And... I finally really started, you know, cause I was going to therapy and that was good, but it just, it was more like I liked the idea of changing my life and I would write like my friends' names in the margins of self-help books and I'm like, oh, so-and-so does this, <laughs> but not me. I didn't want it bad enough to change. Um, And that's when I really started to change was when everything, I mean, it was was my rock bottom moment. And I got sober a few years after that. And people talk about their rock bottom moments before they get sober. And I'm like, actually, no, that was just like one more thing I had to (laughs) figure out. My rock bottom came in 2006 on the floor pregnant and not knowing what to do. I mean, I had gotten out of the lease of my apartment. I had I didn't have anywhere to live. I had left my job because he and I were going to move away together and they had replaced me. I mean, by no means was I homeless and um, destitute. I still had a lot of support and a lot of privilege and resources available to me, but I was like handed this big giant invitation. Like, okay, you need to start your life over. What are you going to do in this moment? And my friends were like, they didn't know what to say. And it was just awkward. And anyway, it was terrible. Bottom line of it, it was that it was terrible. And then I decided to sign up for life coaching certification, which like, let's be honest, my friends and family were like, you're going to do what? <laughs> <Are> you sure? <laughs> right. Yes. But I did. And it was, it was a bit of a long process because I was, you know, fixing my life for lack of a better term. But yeah. And then I got my certification in twenty. 10, I was totally done. And then I launched Your Kick-Ass Life and the rest, as they say, is history. And so where did you get your coaching certification? Certification? Coaches Training Institute. So back then there weren't a whole lot of schools. There was maybe four big ones that we had to choose from. It was so much easier to choose, but I loved CTI because they had both online and in person training, which I needed in person because I get so distracted. Yes. <laughs> I, was like, I need to put my butt in a seat. Yeah.
0: You know, though, I think that is the story of so many of us who are in this field is, you know, for me, I'm, I, I, I'm a happiness coach. And of course, again, it was born out of my own trauma and my own struggle in my life in 20 years of research and investigating and reading and doing all the work on myself. Um, but sometimes, you know, like I had a relapse of panic disorder in 20. 18, actually Mm -hmm. the whole time I was creating the happiness course, I was in the throes of a relapse of my panic disorder, which had disabled me greatly earlier in my life. And so I was just like, what are you like, here I am creating the happiness course for women and I am falling apart. Mm -hmm. Like, so who am I to call myself a happiness coach or who am I to go get my life coaching? Like I'm a total shipwreck myself, Yeah, but I actually think that that's the beauty of what we do is that we don't have it all figured out. We just are always willing to work on ourselves, and we have done the work internally, and so we can share our vulnerabilities in the
1: past with others. You know, it's the beauty of being human, really, and. I do think you know. Of course, you need to take care of yourself first. If you, yeah, I, I was diagnosed with um, anxiety disorder and panic disorder in two thousand and three, so I, I know what that's like. Oh, you do? Yes. You had that too? Yeah. It was. Um, it was the worst. <laughs> I'm like, how do I describe it? It was the worst. Yeah, and it also peaked again. It was a lot better because I got put on medication. It was a lot better, and then I went off medication when I got pregnant, and then after the birth of my son, it escalated again. I had really bad postpartum anxiety to the point where I couldn't drive. Um, I couldn't really drive on the freeway. That was where it was really bad. and was like terrified that somebody was going to come and steal my son. And yeah, it was awful. I happened again after my daughter, but not, not nearly to the degree it happened the first time.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that for a minute because I'm always intrigued. We we are starting to hear more of this, but for me, I think mine, you know, mine started at age 16, which would have been um like 1990 and then mm-hmm. I struggled for oh my goodness. I mean, you know, <laughs> probably eight years with a misdiagnosis. Nobody knew what was wrong with me. Nobody knew why I struggled to leave the house or why I couldn't hardly drive five minutes to my job or why I couldn't be left alone at my job at lunch. And I just really thought I needed to be put into a psychiatric hospital. I mean, I really did when you don't know why you're nervous and what's going on. And then I finally got a diagnosis. Um, But my symptoms are I don't, I'm curious what your symptoms of panic are. Mine are more of like, uh, feelings of disassociation or depersonalization. Mm-hmm. I'm not in my body. I know where I, I am, but I don't really understand if things look unfamiliar, confusing, I might lose consciousness. Like those are yeah. my core symptoms. What were yours?
1: Mine were a uh, similar feeling of, of disassociation, but for me, it was physiologically when it was really bad at its peak, it was, Extremely high heart rate, um, feeling hot all the time. My armpits would tingle. Sometimes my fingers would go numb, and it was just that constant feeling of what's next. Like just being on edge, like something bad is about to happen. It's like what was that Mortal Kombat video game where it was like one, two, three, fight. You know, and and it was like that's how I felt all the time. Like there was an announcer saying like it was time to fight, yeah. and and I didn't know why and it was a lot of crying because i didn't know what was going on and then trying to explain it to people who didn't understand and then it that sort of fed on to it of not knowing what was wrong with me and feeling like i was broken and also the panic of is this how my life is going to be all the time like what? right yeah <laughs> the despair of that was agonizing
0: yeah it is i think it's such an intense suffering and for for people who have not experienced it there's no way that you and I can really make them understand it because Mm -hmm. it is so intense. And, you know, I mean, when you're talking about those feelings and for me, just like you said, it's almost like your brain scans your environment for danger nonstop. Like every single second you're paying attention to how do I feel? What looks right? Am I feeling okay? Is something bad? You know, am I in danger? Do I need to go to the hospital? Do I need to call a friend? Like, it's constant and i don't know about you but like were you afraid to be a parent like i was so like i felt like i couldn't hardly take care of myself so how was i ever going to be a parent or take care of a child
1: yeah for me my primary my primary concern and i use the term concern loosely because it was so much more than that my primary concern was that that someone was going to take him away from me and i mm-hmm. think it was because of my situation yes. because of what had happened with his biological father and was someone going to deem me as unfit and then I was going to lose him forever. And, um, it was, it was so, and I, I, I want to just underscore what you said about if, if anyone's listening to this, who is really struggling with trying to explain it to someone, um, my dad was diagnosed. It's, it's a longer story, but my dad went away to rehab when I was 18 and announced that he was an alcoholic. And we were all like, what? functional, high bottom alcoholic, also depression and anxiety, which at that time, early nineties, I didn't believe mental illness was a thing. It was still very much like a sign of weakness. We didn't talk about that in our family. So for me, I was also still in that place of, is this really a thing? Like, is everyone sure? And I had so much shame for having this disability or whatever you want to call it this thing that that sort of fed upon itself too so i say that for anyone listening who might relate and also like you said like it's like trying to explain the color blue like you you just you can't and what i've said to people is you you will never know how it feels unless you have been there which i don't want that for anyone who doesn't have to go through that yeah all you can do for people The same with like addiction and things like that. All you can do is just accept that it's a thing and just listen to the person who's explaining it to you. Right. Today's episode is brought to you by me and my She Finds
0: Joy course. That's my 90 day guided journey that unleashes your happiness and helps you fully step in to your power as a woman so that you can begin to make big things happen. I know that each and every one of us is capable of stepping into the arena of bigness. We are capable of reclaiming our power, our purpose, our boldness, our bravery, and our bigness in this world. And I'm here to help you do just that. You can sign up for the waitlist and be the first to know at kimstrobel.com forward slash she-finds-joy-waitlist. Again, that's kimstrobel.com. Forward slash she dash finds dash joy dash wait list. But part of the problem is because other people don't understand mental illness in the way that we do now or emotional illness, whatever you want to call it, um, they'll say things like, you just need to get yourself together. You just need Mm -hmm. to think more positively. You just. And what I want our listeners to understand is there is an imbalance going on in your brain and it's not something that you can just think yourself out of or... my God, if we could, we would
1: do it. Well, yeah,
0: yeah. This is not like pull up your big girl panties and just do it, you know? Um, And so it's interesting... so many things that you're talking about. So I too grew up with an alcoholic father that I had no idea was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I had no idea he was an alcoholic until I was like age, you know, 30. And my mom started complaining about it because he was high functioning, wonderful Mm -hmm. man, went to rehab, um, you know, all of those things. And then of course we find out too, he has intense anxiety. And then my mom has some anxiety and depression and things like that. So there's a strong genetic tendency. Um, but then I too, I left my first husband when my baby was two months old. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, at that time I had been, I had been put on Zoloft, I had been panic free, but my husband at the time knew my past history with panic disorder. And so it was used against me Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, it, it didn't work in his favor, but He tried to say that I was, you know, psychologically insane because I had this anxiety disorder that I couldn't care for the child. So I had to go pay the $2,500 and have a psychiatrist evaluate me to tell me that I'm sane and capable of taking care. But that caused, um, that caused a whole new layer of anxiety when you think the child could possibly be taken away from you. So Mm -hmm. I, I hear what you're saying there now. Um. What, I'm curious,
1: what medicine did they put you on that worked for you? I was on Effexor. And so this was in 2003. Again, when, I mean, I don't know what the options are now, but I know that they have come a long way. A depression wasn't really something that I struggled with. I somehow dodged that bullet. Me me either. Um, I have had bouts of it, but it's been very situational. Like I did this elimination diet and my naturopath said, don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, I think it just threw my hormones out of whack by just completely like what she said. She's like, it's like driving down the freeway and throwing your car in reverse. Like you just someone that struggles with, and I've struggled with an eating disorder anyway. I don't recommend, don't recommend it. But, um, that is when I, that is the only time really that I, I woke up for four days in a row with an overwhelming feeling of sadness that I could not shake. Like I had of course had situational depression, you know, when I was going through my divorce and when my life was falling apart, but that's completely understandable. And I was able to come out of it, but when when that, Oh, so all that to say, like, I know how it feels, but definitely not to the extent that other people have, have dealt with it much, much longer and more intensely than I am. And you're not on medicine now for it. No, I'm not. I've been med free since, um, Gosh, it's been 12 years since my son was born. I went back on for a little while and, re- and felt like I lost, lost my Andrea-ness. Yeah. What did they put me on? Um, might have been Zoloft. I don't remember. No, something with a C, Celexa. That's mm-hmm. what I was on. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. it wasn't for me. So why do you think you don't have these anymore, these attacks? You know what's interesting too is that, a side note that's directly related, I also have struggled with chronic hypertension since I was a teenager. So it's, it runs in my family. And I mean, I think since I was probably 17 or 18, the doctors told me, this is odd. You should probably keep an eye on it. Every single time I got my blood pressure checked. And then when I was in my mid twenties, um, I remember I had the flu really bad and I didn't have health insurance. And my dad took me to the doctor, checked my blood pressure. It was high. And it was this ER doctor. And he was like, has anyone ever? And I said, it's always high. And he's like, if you, if it's always like this and you don't get put on medication you could have a heart attack by the time you're 40 with this kind of blood pressure i got put on high blood pressure medication and was on high blood pressure medication for years and years and years um, and then when we moved states several years ago i didn't get a new doctor in time you know how that is wasn't on my blood pressure meds for like 3 months finally went to the doctor told her my health history you know she got my records she checked my blood pressure my blood pressure was fine this was after i had been sober for a couple of years and she said this is interesting. And I'm like, I have never had a reading like that. As long as I can remember long story short, my blood pressure corrected itself. And I think I am not a doctor, but I think because it, it just so happened that it was right after I did deep work when I got sober and ha- went headfirst into all of my emotional stuff. yep, did shame work. I went to San Antonio, Texas and got trained in the daring way with Brene Brown's um, senior faculty. that I'll tell you something <laughs> that shook me upside down. but I did all this deep transformational work, not that we're ever done. But like, do I think it's a coincidence that my, that my blood pressure suddenly corrected itself and I didn't need anxiety medication? I, I don't think that this happens to everyone and who knows, maybe it just is some fluke thing. I have no idea, but nothing else changed in my life. Like yeah. I, I, this, my stress level hadn't changed. My diet hadn't changed. My weight hadn't changed. Like, and I had gotten older, which, you know, our health doesn't seem to like increase all by itself. Right. Right so yeah that 's well, what I attribute it to
0: it's it 's interesting because as i'm i 'm reading this power of the subconscious mind and and it 's talking about how the universal intelligence that lives inside of all of us, which is our subconscious mind right mm-hmm. it 's the mind behind the, the 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 cognitive thinking mind, and that it does know if you 're willing to to go in and tap into its infinite wisdom, it really does know how to kind of realign the body back to its wholeness and I think that sometimes when I think almost all the time when we do that deep work on ourselves, things do really realign. And sometimes these kind of Mm -hmm. miracles happen because you've kind of tapped into that universal intelligence and kind of told your system, Hey, you know, it's time to get rid of some of this junkus in here and and kind of realign. Um,
1: I think that there are a couple of things I want to stop you and mention, like there are a couple of things too, that I do that I, I think attribute to my anxiety going way down. I cut back on coffee. I still drink it, but not to the extent I used to. I work out. And I talk about my feelings, which was something that I never did before. And a lot of self-compassion,
0: so much self-compassion.
1: And I think that those things combined can move mountains. Yeah, I agree. I I
0: agree. I'm actually working. So as I'm trying to heal my own body with this, and I'm actually reading a book called Rewire Your Anxious Brain, which is really Mm -hmm. interesting. Um, And so what i 'm trying to do is create new um, circuitry between my amygdala and how it talks to the rest of my brain, because my amygdala is the part of my brain that fires really fast and very right. quickly, um, and so I have to teach it like a new neural pathway because mm-hmm. the way I do that is by letting myself feel the fear and then know that um, you know that I can deal with it, that I am my safe person, that nothing is going to happen to me, that this too shall pass, and so i 'm incorporating other things like yoga and I too have gotten off some of the caffeine, um, but I do think that it is, it's possible, but you do have to get help. Like for anybody who's Mm -hmm. listening, because I didn't realize this either. I was giving a talk and I had a husband come up to me and say, Kim, you have no idea what hearing your message of anxiety and panic has done for me. He said six months ago, his wife finally went to the doctor because this is another layer that people don't, realize and I think we don't talk about it enough but his wife had they had four children and she would have these terrible thoughts like am I going to pick this knife up and stab the children yeah. or hurt them or suffocate them and she would like imagine herself doing this really terrible thing well you and I both know people who have these overactive thought processes that that it's it's not that you're crazy it's not that you're actually going to kill your children but you feel like you You are crazy and that you're going to do something. And so that's the way that hers manifested. And she ended up going to a counselor and figuring out that she wasn't some crazy person, that she wasn't going to kill her children, but she was bombarded by an overactive imagination that Mm -hmm. would try to see all of these things. And so I want to bring this to light because anxiety comes in many forms and it's really just your thought processes getting exaggerated, getting out of control and understanding that you're not crazy. There's not Something that is terribly wrong with you, but you do need to go speak to a doctor and a therapist and and learn to get help with that because that 's a real thing that many women in
1: particular suffer from yeah, Maria Bamford, the comedian, has talked about that she has had severe anxiety um, and she has talked that she had those same thoughts, like worrying that she was going to stab her sister and uh and things like that. So yes, I'm glad you brought that up.
0: Yeah. You know, it's a, it's just a spectrum. And I find that so many women are suffering from anxiety of some you know some have anxiety, some have panic disorder, some have a little bit of both, um, but we have to bring that to light. We have to talk about it and know that there 's help out there, and there are things that we can be doing so this is interesting to hear you talk about how you got to your really low point in your own life, and then what you did was you really did the deep work within you um,
1: now that's what you do. You work with women doing just that, you know? Yeah. And if you would have asked me 12, 13 years ago, if this is what I would be doing, I would have laughed hysterically because I thought I was, you know, having a fitness background, like my initial goal was to incorporate fitness and life coaching. And I very much was like about all about living on the surface. And what I mean by that is like, you know, I call it, um, surface level personal development where it's like motivating, (laughs) inspiration, inspiring, and that's it. Like, you know, it's like, you go girl, you can do it. You were made for this, you know, rise up from the ashes, which is all fantastic. Like we need those people. We need that kind of encouragement and momentum and love and all of those things. And here I am now I work with people on shame. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's so hysterical when I think back, like on how I was raised, like I was raised in a very loving family, but that was like, we had one emotion and it was love. And if you had any others, like you go and do that in your room by yourself. We don't talk about it. We don't see it. My parents just didn't have the tools or the, the words to even begin to understand that. And so I do believe that many of us are put here to break patterns and to heal ourselves. And in many ways, heal our parents. And even if they're no longer with us, or we don't even ever talk to them about these types of things, it's like, I, I just, I do. And I I I might know it might sound woo woo, but you're, you're with me. Um, I do. I think that, that I was chosen to talk about these things, so that I can heal generations that come after me, and and I don't look at it in like a "ooh, shine the light on me, look at me" type of thing. Aren't I the hero? Like, no, no, no. Like, trust me. Some there are days when I go kicking and screaming into this, where I look yeah. up and I'm like, "Could you have chosen something else? Like, could I have just still been like teaching spin class? Like, this would be
0: so much easier." <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree.
1: But. You know, here I am.
0: <laughs> well, and I think you know to all of our listeners who are out there who have kind of been telling themselves that story of like, "Hey, I would really like to be a life coach, or I would really like to be someone who you know puts this idea out into the world and who helps others." But I can't because I'm so screwed up. So who am I to think that I can do it? I think the point you and I are both making is you can be in the damn ashes, rebuilding yourself, and there—that's a great sp- a place to actually. Put your message out into the world like you don't have if we're going to wait until we're all fixed, which is never going to freaking happen. You and I are going to constantly have rebounds. We're going to constantly have shit we have to do and work we have to do on ourselves and things that come up. So like if you're going to wait until you have it all figured out to to launch whatever it is you want to launch or to go after whatever it is you want to go after in life then you're never going to do it. I mean, Mm -hmm. you and I both, I mean, I too have been in that fetal position and many times I've been pleading with God saying like, I feel like I've had enough hard lessons. Like, why, why is this at me again? But, but I like you feel like it is time for me to change the trajectory for future generations. And so if I have to live through the pain and show that I can come through that in a way that is helpful to others, then I'm willing to show up and do the work as well as you. Amen and it's
1: like do you really want a perfect leader i don't i certainly oh, do if yeah. some if i'm following someone on instagram or social media and i feel like they are really doing their best to put up this veneer of perfection i don't trust them and it's and it is like if we're talking about professionally showing up professionally yes there is a balance like you you don't want to go out there looking like a hot mess every day like you do have to have some level of professionalism you do But I think that, you know, I always tell people, I built a business on vulnerability before vulnerability was like a marketing strategy. And I kind of hate that it is. I know. Uh, But, you know, I I started a blog in 08 called Live Your Ideal Life where I just was talking about my story. Like I was talking about my Mm -hmm. divorce. I was talking about my struggles, my eating disorder, being a brand new mom. And other people started reading it. Like this was the very beginning of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram wasn't even born yet. And I was like, oh my God. There's other people out there besides these women I went to high school and college with who are reading my blog. There are strangers that want to hear more about what I'm saying. Like I'm definitely onto something and it, and it just sort of, it just sort of never stopped. And it's, it's that it's also every time I'm nervous to like put a story out there and tell people what's going on or what has happened every time I do it, it ends up being so amazing. But I do think that I I don't necessarily think for people who are listening, who might want to become life coaches. I don't think that what you and I do is for everyone and what I mean by that is I agree. Like you don't have to start a podcast or start a blog where you sort of air your dirty laundry um, if you're if you're stopping yourself if you want to and are stopping yourself because you're afraid of what people think like that's another conversation but you can do it on a smaller level. Like you can go speak at like mops groups. Um, you can go speak at your church or whatever it is where it's more of like a local community based a, it's not quite as scary or maybe it might be scarier because it's people you actually know in real life, but it just, I, I don't want people to think like, this is the only way to do it. The you know, the way you and I do like there are no, ways. I agree.
0: And, and honoring that, like, you know, we each ha- are born with our own personality for me. I've always been a sharer, so I'm really comfortable sharing my story um, in in a large group. And I actually, in fact, I would rather have 5,000 people sitting in the crowd than 10, because that's like how I best show up. That's I feed off the energy you're an extrovert like me. Like I could tell when
1: I met you, like,
0: <laughs> right. You can, <laughs> like, we can see that with each other. Yeah. But like, just because you're not, or that, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, well, I'm not, but maybe there's one friend who needs to hear your story or a small mm-hmm. church group or a mom's group or something that just, I think that I am determined to talk about the hard shit in life because when we talk about it, we We really take the facade down. We allow others to have the permission to feel however they feel. And it's not wrong. It's not bad. It's a feeling. And those feelings are allowed to be acknowledged, you know? I mean, so much of what I have done in my own life, and I tell this story so many times, it's like... You know, I've played small in my life so much so that I just completely lost who I was because I tried so hard to turn into this person that I thought I was supposed to be, um, and like not let my light shine and not be the Kim Strobel whose soul was born to like navigate the world a certain way. And instead, I tried to turn myself into other people. And the moment I started to just allow myself to be who I was, it was almost like the moment that everything broke free for me. So whatever that looks like to you, Mm -hmm. that's what we want to encourage the listeners to, to do, to just step into more of whoever you are without the judgment, without the shame, without the blame. Um, and so that means that we have to work on ourselves. We have to make the decision. We can't just keep wanting life to be better. We can't
1: just want to have a kick-ass life. We have to do the hard shit. Yeah that gets us there. People like the idea of it, but I want to circle back to something you said about talking about the hard stuff. And I mean, even if someone's listening and they have no desire to become a life coach, like more power to you, stay in your career. But (laughs) I saw what holding in the hard stuff does, you know, in my father and, Mm -hmm. um, he died in 2016 and he was part of, I mean, he was part of the silent generation, which is the generation before Boomers where, and, you know, thank God for, I'm a, I'm a younger Gen Xer, but like, thank God for millennials and like the Gen Z who therapy and talking about mental health is just not, it's just not a thing anymore. Like it was, you know, even when you and I were growing up and especially for the baby boomer generation and my dad's generation, the silent generation, where they did not talk about the hard stuff at all. I know. And I don't even know if there were any exceptions. Like they like Minn Freud making. I don't. I don't even know. Like it was so. There was so much shame and stigma around it, and um, my heart just breaks for all those people. And I saw that it ate him up inside. And my dad was not a super macho man. You know, he was more sensitive and um, more of an introvert. And it just it you know and i i watched him with his depression as he got older and it just was so incredibly heartbreaking and i vowed to myself like this can't i can't let this continue you, you know and and it, it, i just can't so all that to say talking about the hard stuff is not easy. It's still not easy for me. It's kind of like when people say, well, I don't like confrontation. Who the hell likes confrontation? Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's about learning how to do it, learning how to do it. And so it's the same with talking about the hard stuff. It's about learning how to do it, practicing with people in small little bite-sized pieces, with people that you trust. I call them your compassionate witness. This is what breaks down stigmas. This is what helps you heal and move forward in your life. Yeah. And that's,
0: that's the message is it is going to feel scary. It is going Mm -hmm. to feel uncomfortable and you have to be willing to do it anyway, to break yourself free from those bondages that are holding us all back. I mean, I preach people all the time. I I'm constantly teaching women, like have the difficult conversation with your spouse or your child or your parent or whatever. I have difficult conversations, but like, sometimes it's still really hard. Sometimes I'm over there, like tapping my foot going like, man, when I tell Scott Strobel this, this is
1: not going to go yeah. over well. And or I sometimes didn't... I get passive aggressive first and then have to circle back and apologize <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then talk oh, about yeah. what I'm actually mad about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just interviewed uh,
0: Maggie Reyes. You know, Maggie Reyes. Yes, Modern I think TV. I do. Uh-huh. Oh my, her episode is fantastic on marriage. And so one of the tactics I told her I had used with Scott, she's like, um, so yes, that would be passive aggressive. And you and I need to have a sidebar conversation yeah. with mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Most oh. people
1: are sarcastic or use humor and or passive aggressive.
0: Absolutely. Oh, Andrea, well, it's just been a pleasure for you to just I I just love a woman who's willing to own her story and share her story and just let people know that it's not just like shiny glitter unicorns and, you know, fluffy white only on Tuesdays. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, you know, so that's what I really want. I want women to have real honest conversations and you've done that. You've brought that to us today. So where can people find more of you, Andrea?
1: Super easy. Just look for your kick-ass life. I have my own podcast. We're on 300 and something episodes at this point. Um, I like to hang out on Instagram, same handle your kick-ass life. And then the website is your life.com. Oh, so easy. We'll drop all of that in the show notes. So I always in
0: Andrea, since this is called, she finds joy. I always in by asking my guest, what is something that you're doing right now in your life to find more joy?
1: You know what I started doing? Um, I mean, I can answer this one of 50 ways, but the thing that popped up into my mind is I'm in a small peer mastermind group with four other women and we use the Boxer app. It's kind of like WhatsApp or like group text. And every Monday I always start it and we answer, we all answer the same series of questions. It's the first question is, what do you love? Like list like three to five things about what you love. Um, What's working? What can you give this week? And um, wouldn't it be awesome if? And you finish the sentence.
0: Ooh, I love and, that. I'm writing yeah, it down. it's just sort of
1: like it, it's just one of those things. I had a one of my very first coaches. She would always start out each coaching session and ask me what's working. And <clears throat> it just is one of my favorite questions because, like, do we ever really truly sit down and think about that? We're typically like jumping to the things that aren't working, which is normal and human. But yes. That's one of the things. Like, I love doing it, and I love reading all of their answers as much as I love thinking about and talking about my own. Oh, that's even more so. so. That's so helpful. So we're in week
0: two of my ninety-day program, and I've created accountability groups for the women that are in there, and they're going to do Voxer. And so yeah. this is a. This would be a great little framework to get them like engaged in having the conversation. Because once it takes off, it takes off. But like they need a little bit of a framework. So I'm loving these four questions. That's super helpful. And so that's a way for you to connect and bring a little more joy and enthusiasm. And gratitude.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And share oh, with goodness. each
0: other. All right. Well, thank you so much, Andrea. I really appreciate you being on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Kim. This has been super fun.
0: We did it. Thank you so much for listening in on the She Finds Joy podcast today. I'm honored to share this space with you and I hope you keep showing up as the real you in this world. As always, this conversation will be continued in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to kimstrobel.com, Forward slash she finds joy to connect with other joy seekers just like you.